Hey, this is Stephen Tacey. You are listening to Where We Talk Art with Dave and Michelle. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Partnership for the Arts, where we talk art. This is your host, Dave. Michelle is not with us today. I told her to be careful of that sushi last night. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. So, I am actually on site... Passerina Press. Passerina Press. And that is Susan. She is going to be joining us here. We're going to be talking a lot about what she does, which is incredible stuff. And we're going to cover all that in just a minute. So everyone just hold on. We'll be right back as we start the show. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us. As we explore the worlds of art. You can find all of our episodes on our Facebook page, Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show. Or you can go to our new website, PF. TATalkshow.org. This show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. Okay, everyone, we are back. And again, I am going to mention that we are not on site at the Visual Arts Center in the library recording. We are actually on site of the guest host here, Susan James. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. I got to say, you and Ken, your husband, took, took me on a tour of the place here. It's Phenomenal. I mean, the amount of equipment and stuff you have to do the processes that you do, it's amazing. Well, when you first proposed to me the notion that you wanted to interview me about our process, I knew right away you probably weren't going to understand it and that I couldn't really explain it unless you saw it. Right. And I I see why you, very wise (laughs) choice. And even today, um, before you called, and and we talked about how long you would spend here, and uh, you said you were only going to be here an hour, and I thought to myself, oh, there's no way (laughs) that this is going to take just an hour. Um, You know, just just introducing you to a couple of steps of the process would take an hour. Yeah, and you're right, and and we've been here all morning. We're running into the afternoon now, but I got to tell you, it's it's fantastic. So let's start with what you actually do here. What the, give me the two names of the things that you do most here. Well, this is our studio, mm-hmm. Passerina Press, mm-hmm. and what we do here is uh, we do fine art printmaking. We specialize in a process known as intaglio printmaking. Okay. And kind of a subset of that process is known as photogravure, which is a combination of intaglio printmaking and photography. Right, right, and I've seen that. Now, we're going to get into those two, and we're going to talk about that, but I want to start with a little history. Uh, History of me. Yes. Okay, so I've always been involved in art. Uh, Mm I loved to draw as a kid, you know, from an early age, three, four years old. I was drawing every spare scrap of paper, a pencil. I could keep myself busy all day just with that. I would uh, draw myself pictures. I loved to draw horses and and people, and I would go off into this kind of fantasy world as I was drawing pictures, and I would tell myself stories about what was happening in the pictures. But all throughout high school, I took art class, and when I was a teenager, I was very interested in doing pen and ink drawing. Mm -hmm. I I loved the level of detail that you could get with pen and ink. And I kept this up through community college, and I remember one time, though, I was, this was back in Orlando, which is uh, where I spent my formative years, let's say. I went to an art show there, and there was an artist exhibiting there named David Hunter, Mm -hmm. who is a very well-known printmaker in Central Florida and probably the whole southeastern United States. He was exhibiting there at the time, and this was probably 1983 or 84, 
and he had won best of show in this art show. And so I, I was looking at the image that, that won, won best of show, and it was this huge um, picture of a sailboat, and it was on a stormy sea, and it was actually part of a triptych. He had two, two other images of equal size, or probably about uh, 30 by 24 inches each. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was just amazing and the incredible level of detail. At first I thought it was a pen and ink drawing and I thought, wow, I really, I, I wish I could do work like that. But then I noticed down in the corner there was an edition number and I didn't know anything so I, I just come at it and said, oh, it's just a print. <laughs> and David heard me say that. <laughs> <laughs> and the next 10 minutes were spent with him explaining to ignorant little me what, what kind of an effort actually went into making an intaglio etching, which is what that image was and what, what its companion pieces were, and how many hundreds of hours it had taken him to line etch that entire image. <laughs> and it was quite an education I got in that 10 minutes. And the very next Wednesday after that encounter with David, I was in his studio in Winter Park learning how to do intaglio etching. Really? Yes. And that's how it began, huh? That, that, that's how it began. But it, it evolved from there. I had to learn more about this. Going to David's studio once a week on Wednesdays wasn't enough for me. I had to go out and get my own press because you can't do this intaglio etching process without this machine called a press. Mm -hmm. And I had to go out and get various chemicals, mostly acids. At the time, dangerous acids. I was, I was working with nitric acid and uh, zinc plates. And being that I lived by myself, uh, I didn't really have a studio space, but I did have a kitchen and I, I did have a dining area. And so I set up my first printmaking studio in my kitchen. <laughs> and I, yeah, we were talking about it before. It's officially known as the kitchen press, right? That's right. And I still have the kitchen press. It's a little... 12 by 24 inch Conrad machine edging press, which uh, until about, I'd say 10 years ago, I was making prints on. Uh, since then, I, I've acquired three other presses. You've upgraded. <laughs> I, I, seem, I seem to have uh, gotten into collecting presses. I, I, uh, my latest acquisition is a 36 by 60 um, Charles Brand etching press. And uh, we, we got that about a year ago. And that's here in our studio today. Yes, it's actually here behind me, and it's quite massive. <laughs> Bed plate probably weighs about 800 pounds, uh, surrounded by, I don't know, 1,000 pounds of cast iron. Yeah. And, yeah, and a great, great big upper and lower rollers. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite impressive. So been doing this for how long now? Uh, I've been doing intaglio printmaking on and off since... Probably about 1983, 84. 83, yeah. Um, like most normal people, though, I, uh, I actually got caught up in life. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was a young person going to school and then eventually getting married and working, of course. I, I was working regular jobs and, and uh, doing printmaking on the side and at nights. And uh, over the course of my life, I have had to set it aside, you know, finish degrees, uh, raise children, get married, get divorced, uh, the, the whole whole litany of things that happened in life. happened to you in life, but never never really gave up the printmaking. And I guess through the years, I've created about 60 different images. And I, I still have my first images. That's right. That's right. 
I remember we were talking about that earlier. You you kept it. So you got into this. You you bought your first press in your kitchen, and as you said, uh, life happened. Or as as uh, we often hear, you went and got a real job. Yes, <laughs> my my real job actually is. Um, it's not something I ever would have planned for. And in fact, when I was a kid, it, it wasn't a thing. And uh, especially it wouldn't have been a thing for, probably wouldn't have been a thing for, for girls anyway. But uh, in my day job, I actually do cybersecurity work. So itself, it is a very technical field. So naturally, you know, and very process-oriented, analytical mm. in nature. So naturally, what I do in my times of relaxation is analytical <laughs> challenging chemistry activities. chemistry uh yes and uh working with heavy machinery that seems to be the relaxing thing for me that's great and it is again you've got an incredible setup here with, with you and your husband ken here and and again thank you for the tour because you're right i understand a lot of of the processes that you go through that's one end of it there's another thing that you do as well that would be the photography work. The photography work, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting story. So, you know, I raised my kids. They're out of the house. They're off having their own lives. And, and I had raised them through part of their teenage years as, as a single mom. And so I found myself with time on my hands and um, thought maybe I would date again. And, and, and through various processes and websites, I... I ran into this person over here, Ken, and uh, he, he and I uh, did the long-distance relationship for a while, decided to get married. And so we got married in 2013, and one of Ken's interests, which I found intriguing, but I didn't have any equipment to do, Ken was very, very interested in photography. Mm-hmm. And he had these wonderful cameras, <laughs> which, uh, you know, you know I, I thought that my phone was a pretty good camera. <laughs> I, I thought those were adequate instruments with which to capture images, but um, he can had it, other ideas. Can explained otherwise. <laughs> so Ken, Ken demonstrated that there, there's this whole world of photography where you can, you know how I collect presses? Well, mm. he kind of collected cameras and lenses. And so he started teaching me to do photography, and it was something we enjoyed to do together. Um, and it took us outdoors, and you know, we, we would go to all these different venues with our cameras. Also, um, the kind of lenses he would lend to me to use were very conducive to upper body strength building because they were, <laughs> they, you know, they weighed three or four pounds a piece, seven pounds. They, they'd be these massive lenses because he likes to do um, long range photography. And so he has one lens, it's uh, uh, 150 to 600. And it weighs about seven pounds. So um, we would take these uh, all this gear out, and we'd, we'd uh, shoot pictures together. And I knew there was a way that I could combine the picture-taking with the printmaking. Okay. But I never really understood. I, I couldn't conceptualize of how it worked. So I turned to the Internet, and I started doing some searches on photography and printmaking. And I ran across the name of this process, uh, photogravure. And uh, what is that? You know, I, I, I read about it and uh, discovered that you actually could go places and take workshops in this, this process. You could learn it. And I, already, I, I, um, I found the website of the artist Paul Taylor. 
and he's up in New Hampshire, and he gives these photogravure workshops. And so I convinced Ken that we should go do this thing together. I said, it'll be fun. We'll bring the cameras. <laughs> well, we actually did take the, the first workshop with, with um, Paul in 2017, and it was a photopolymer workshop, which uh, utilizes these, um, these kind of ready-made um, steel plates with a photosensitive surface on them that uh, kind of simplify the photogravure process so that you can transfer a photographic image onto these steel plates and then print them on a printmaking press, which you know I have my press collection, so I was yes. well prepared to do that. So we took this workshop, and uh, we had just gone on a trip to New Zealand uh, a couple months before we took the workshop. So at the time, I wasn't taking pictures, so we just brought all of his images with us. And I did the editing on three of his pictures, and he did he he produced plates for of his other pictures, so we came away from that workshop with six images of various New Zealand things like penguins and um, Mount Cook, and they were, they were just phenomenal looking uh, pieces, and they looked like antiques, because it is an antique process. On a plate, yes. Right. Uh, Photogravure itself, um, the process was developed in the 19th century, and it's a uh, kind of an offshoot of daguerreotype, and I'm not too familiar with... Uh, photographic uh, processes, historic processes, but I do know photogravure. And uh, it, it is a way for a photographer to express their image in, in a very unique way. And uh, it has, of course, fallen by the wayside because now we have fabulous digital printers and you know you have all of these ways to easily produce an image but you have these historic printmaking and, and photographic processes that you can also use to take your, your photographic image back in time and give it a sense of history. Well said. Again, seeing everything and uh, you explaining all of those in detail, there's a lot of processes of measuring and time and you have to watch humidity and temperature when you that, do that, the whole thing. That's correct. Um, I like to tell people that when you create a photogravure, it's like getting in a time machine. So we have all these really sophisticated technologies today to do image capture. I mean, you can get a great, a great photograph with your cell phone, mm -hmm. or you can have an inexpensive pocket camera that takes a great picture, or you can have these high-end cameras where you have lenses that are worth thousands of dollars and you can get extremely uh, high levels of detail in your image, and then you have all this software that you can process that image with. You have Photoshop, Lightroom, hmm. various filtering softwares like um, Silver Effects Pro and Topaz, where you can just really get a lot out of the image yourself. Yeah. But with Photogravure, you can, uh, just the image capture is only the very first step in the process. Right. Once you go through capturing the image with these sophisticated tools and, and, um, and uh, cleaning it up and, and uh, manipulating the image, there's the whole process of, okay, now how am I going to get it on paper? And so this is where we start going back in time. We, we go back to, we, we uh, print these images out on uh, Pictorico film using 
probably 15 or 20 year old printers, which we have retrofitted with uh, grayscale inks, uh, selenium inks. So we'll print um, these, uh, these film images, which we then put on kind of retro exposure units, and we'll expose the image onto a photosensitive tissue. So we've gone back a couple of decades here at this point. Mm -hmm. And then we etch that, uh, or, or we, we laminate that, um, that photographic image onto a copper plate. We etch that with water, and now we're back in the 19th century. And then once the plate is developed and etched and we're through with uh, that stage, we're moving further back in time to the 15th century. We're using processes and chemicals that were used in the 15th century to etch yeah. that plate and then print the image onto paper. Amazing. Amazing. And it is. And the effect uh, that you get out of that is phenomenal. I was impressed just with, as we were looking at earlier, I was impressed with just what you called the throwaway plates that you got away in a drawer. <laughs> we, we have, we have a probably about 100 pounds of test plates <laughs> because um, there, there's a lot of, because there are so many stages of this process, you have to work very hard to control every variable. And so you have a lot of variables. Th th there are a lot of variables. Everything in the process has a curve. And so everything, as you go through this process, everything you do can affect the image that you come out with in the end. It's just kind of like life. <laughs> Everything has its impact. And so what we work very hard to do is uh, control the environment. And in our dark room, we, we have to pay careful attention to the humidity. Mm -hmm. we, we try to keep it at 65% humidity, um, around 72, 73 degrees in the room, um, the chemicals that we use uh, the potassium dichromate to sensitize our photographic tissue. That has to be done at 42 degrees. So we have a refrigerator in there. Um, when we uh, laminate that uh, exposed tissue onto the, um, the copper plate, that has to be very cold water, probably about 37 degrees. We have to pay very careful attention to the amount of time that we're doing this. So it can't be more than, let's say, three and a half minutes for this step. So the, the, I, I'm, I stand there. I have actually a timer in the room. I, I have a stop, you know, a, a stop clock or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call watch. it. Mm -hmm. And I have to time every stage of the process so that I can control all the variables. And then we have a washout process where we're in 115 degree water for about 10 minutes. We, we have a special instrument on, on the wall where we can set the temperature to 115 degrees for the water, and it stays that way. Yeah. Uh, and we even put in a separate water tank so we have enough hot water for the process. It's a new studio space, and I was going to make my first test plate uh, last week out of a Stouffer scale, which is a 21-step scale that uh, kind of tells you how well you're doing <laughs> with your exposure process and, and your etching process. It's, it's just shades of gray from black to white. And so here I was with my beautifully laminated, uh, exposed tissue laminated plate, and I'm getting ready to do the hot water washout. And I got my thermometer in the tray and the plate's in the tray. <laughs> and I'm waiting right. for the water 
to come up and it's 102 degrees and then it starts going down, 100, <laughs> 97, 90. And pretty soon I'm yelling, Ken, what's wrong with the hot water? It's not hot. <laughs> and it's it, the new water. Either. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it turned out that um, we had an inadequate hot water supply and we actually had to run out last week and buy a 50-gallon <laughs> tank and do it the right way. And do it the yeah. right way. And then you go through the process after it comes out, right? Yes. After, after you've um, done the water process, you'll remove your plate from the hot water bath and you douse it or you move it into a tray of 50% alcohol solution, alcohol and water, and you kind of uh, swish it around in there. You just gently rock your tray for two minutes. Mm-hmm. Take it out, out of your 50% solution, and, and then you put a slurry of a 70% alcohol solution on, on your plate. And for 25 to 30 seconds, and here we go again, you've you got to be very careful with this step, actually, um, because it, it can uh, cause uh, bubbles on the surface of the plate. So you just gently slurry that around, and you dump it off. And then you go over to a, dr- a drying station where I um, remove the alcohol from the surface of the plate by rocking it back and forth on a piece of wood to wick out the alcohol and then actually gently uh, dry it with indirect air from a really old hair dryer that I have that's <laughs> perfect for this process. In fact, I bought that. That was one of the first things I bought back in 1983 was that hair dryer. It was something I actually could buy <laughs> when, I was, when I was young and poor, and, and it greatly would improve my printmaking process. Okay, so what happens next? There's one more step. You, you have to, and I, I have a 18 by 24 heater in mm-hmm. my studio where I will put that plate on on the heater at about 120 degrees and let it bake or cook there for about 20 minutes. That's just the gelatin on the surface that hardens it and makes it durable enough to put in the ferric chloride, which is, that's the last step in the plate creation process. Once you've got your your, um, gelatin image adhered and uh, onto the plate and it's nice and hard from cooking it on, on the heater, then you put it in a ferric chloride bath, and this is uh, another very carefully managed process where I have to measure the balme of my ferric and sure it's exactly 40 degrees balme. So I, I do all these measurements before I get started. Uh, pour out my mints if I'm not at 40 balme by adding either water or more ferric chloride to my bath, and then I can etch my plate and. Uh, the etching process probably takes about 23 minutes. And what you're looking for when you're etching, you're constantly looking at that plate and you're moving, uh, you're rocking the tray back and forth and you're looking at your white highlights on the plate. Uh, your blacks will start to fill in first, but you're paying attention to the white highlights. And when that, you have to be careful that right before that last white highlight etches, you pull your plate out of the acid. Wow. Wow. Yeah, again, like I said, so many variables and, and everything else. So it, it's quite a process to just get the plate. And then you got to go to the point where you're actually going to print it off of the plate, correct? Yes. And the printing process itself is, uh, there's very many ways that you can manipulate the way you're, you're printing an image mm-hmm. uh, to get a different look to it. Um, we use very stiff oil-based inks 
and we modify them uh, using various kinds of oils. We can thin them out or we can thicken them. Um, we add clove oil to the, uh, the ink when we mix it so that it doesn't dry mm -hmm. quickly. So you can leave your, your, your ink in the open air for a while if you're, you're printing in addition. But um, that's, a, that's a really fun part of the process is once you've got the plate is picking what paper am I going to print this on. And I, I have probably a dozen different kinds of papers that I, I, I use. I, I might use a Japanese paper or I'll use German etching, or I'll, I'll use uh, an Italian paper. These are all fine art papers, uh, rag papers, uh, kinwashi papers. Do, do you choose the paper? Or does it make a well, difference on the final effect? Yes, it does. Um, different papers, of course, are different colors. Even if they're technically white, um, there's many different shades of white. Anybody who's ever tried to pick out paint knows <laughs> uh, there's about a thousand different shades of white. So uh, the same is true with paper, and, and papers also have their own textures mm -hmm. and their own weights. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, paper is a curve, and so the color and weight and, and texture of the paper you choose to print with will have a bearing on the image that comes off the press. So when we've selected our paper, we, al we also have to figure out what color of ink do I want to print this in. Does this, would this look good in a blue-black, or do we want to go for kind of a, an antique effect where it's, it's kind of a, a gelatin silver look or something kind of a brown look? So you're mixing your inks, you're doing your additives, and then you're applying the ink to the plate using a brayer, and then you wipe the surface of the plate off with a piece of cloth called tarlatan until the only ink that remains on the plate is what's down in those little pock marks uh, that hold the, the ink and uh, actually represent the image on the plate. And then <laughs> once you've done, <laughs> once you've inked your plate and it's sufficiently uh, wiped, you, you will take your paper, which you, you've had soaking in a tray, and it has to be wet because the rollers um, apply a, a huge amount of pressure against your plate, so they could tear the paper. You want it to be flexible. Um, so you put that plate along with the paper and some wool blankets you use under your roller, and you print the image. And then you have uh, the moment of the great reveal where you, you lift your wool blankets, and then you peel back the paper, and you get to see the end result. Wow, wow. Now, again, you know, we talked about this when we were first going through that big press there and, and the operation of it. When you say pressure, you do mean a lot of pressure. I, my husband would know better about the PSI than I would. I, I just say make it zero, zero on the uh, micrometer gauge. Photogravure in particular takes a huge amount of pressure. The plates aren't very thick, and the images themselves are... They have very delicate shades of gray, so you want to pick up all the details and, and uh, the nuances, all, all the nuances of the yeah. image. So you need you need a press with a lot of pressure to to get every last bit out of it. Well, I just know that one of the conversations we were having earlier, where you had to use a long cheater bar to get the press down, <laughs> yeah, to, get um, it to work. So I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I ever had the strength, <laughs> but certainly at my age, <laughs> not that I'm super old, but, uh, you know, it, sometimes you need a little help to, to get that uh, roller down really tight. Okay, so we're going to take a break, and uh, we're going to come back, and we're going to cover a couple other subjects here. So 
Susan, hold on one second, and uh, we'll be right back, okay? Okay. All right, everyone, hold on. I'm Barb. And I'm Linda. And I'm Debbie. I'm Ellen. And, and we, we are Here and Now Quartet. And we listen to Partnership for the Arts Talk Show. Don't worry what tomorrow morning's papers say. Throw your cares away. Okay, we are back. And I want to make sure that we thank the Here and Now girls, the, the quartet. You heard that song. Wonderful ladies, wonderful organization. They do a lot of good for the community. So, ladies, thank you for that commercial. So, we are still sitting here with Susan James, and we've talked about the processes of quite of the things you do there, quite quite yes. elaborate processes. So I, I wanted to kind of cover, because we were talking during commercial, you've done a lot of different things. You've experienced things in art. You've taken a lot of workshops, and you've traveled quite far to do that, right? Uh, yes, that's true. I was lucky enough to live in New York City for about four years, and while I was there, I got to take uh, some printmaking workshops at the Manhattan Graphic Center, Blackburn's Printmaking Studio, the Parsons School of Design. I took some drawing classes there. So throughout my life, I, I've had opportunities and exposure. You know, I was in places where I could go and learn something new about printmaking or some other aspect of art that interests me. And at times when I wasn't um, in close proximity to really good resources for that, I just took the initiative to go seek places out where I could learn new things. And, you know, I would get on a plane and I would go. Uh, this is 20 years ago, but I, uh, I took a month-long master printmaking course at the Santa Reparata School of Design in Florence, Italy. Wow, and uh, wow. that was a wonderful experience because at the time I was a mother of two young children, and I had a very stressful job as well. And this was right after the year 2000, and in my IT work, I had just gotten through a very stressful year. So I had oh, made course, myself yes. a promise as I sat there, uh, December 31st, uh, 1999, 8 o'clock in the evening at work when everybody else was having fun. I said, you know, I'm going to do something really wonderful in the coming year, I'm going to do something just for me. So I wound up booking a course at this fabulous printmaking school in in Florence, Italy. And let me tell you, life does not get better than that, or at least for me, it doesn't. There's there's those workshop examples I've given, and the the photogravure and uh, polymer photogravure courses that I later took with Paul Taylor in his studio in New Hampshire. These have all helped me learn more about the printmaking process than I would have done if I had just tried to do it by myself. Mm. One of the great things about going into somebody else's studio is that you learn from f just by doing things alongside another person, even if you don't take a workshop or a class, just to be in the presence of another artist. You talk, you exchange ideas, even just looking at each other's studio practice and things that people do. You know, I never knew that I didn't have to buy super expensive burnt plate oil to thin out my inks until I did the course at Santa Reparata, and they were just using safflower oil. 
Wow. <laughs> well, the, the downside of that was they had a lot of ants in the studio. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you smush out. They kind of add texture to the, the image when you're printing. Before I took the workshop with Paul, I never would have thought to use a brayer to apply the ink to my intaglio plates. I was always using a card and applying the ink with, with a cardboard card, and which runs the risk of scratching your plate. Mm. But, but his process was clearly better. And so you, you just learn so much, um, not only artistically, but from a practical standpoint. For anybody who's interested in learning about printmaking, and it could be intaglio, it could be lithography, mm-hmm. Um, it could be monoprinting. Um, we, I have done all of these processes uh, throughout my art career. Um, I encourage people to use the Internet, which is such a wealth of information. Right. You just have to plug a few keywords into Google, and you can find out about any kind of printmaking process that you might be interested in, and especially um, going to YouTube. People demonstrate these processes, and right. in fact, that was how I was able to determine whether or not I could, I was, I was capable of learning something like photogravure, because until you know what it is, you're intimidated. But uh, if you go out and, and you look for videos on, on art processes that you're interested in, and don't just look at one, but look at several, because Artists all do things differently. There's Yes, there are certain principles that we all follow, mm-hmm. but once you get the baseline behaviors, after that, it, you're free to make up your own way. Yeah, yeah. Then you can start experimenting. Right. Yeah. And, and also, anybody who, who gets bit by the, the printmaking bug, you don't have to have a full-blown studio like I have now. It took me many years to work my way up to owning something like this Charles Brand Press. Mm-hmm. Um, I started with a 12 by 24, $600 press in my kitchen. I was 22, 23 years old. I, I had, uh, you know, I bought my, my chemicals. I kept them under the kitchen sink. I needed just a minimal amount of things to get started with intaglio printmaking which I could keep in my house. Now, if you have small children, it might be a little challenging. <laughs> but uh, And you also have to live alone or have a, an understanding partner or roommate. But um, don't let the idea that you may not be able to acquire resources stop you. Um, you may have to change some things around in your life or your, your home space or or wherever you may find yourself in order to accommodate the next thing you want to do, but it's totally possible. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. If uh, it's a passion of yours, you find a way to do it. Absolutely. Right, right. Uh, I wanted to just ask you, as we wrap up here, Susan, with everything you've got here, if somebody really wanted to see how it's done or maybe he really had an interest in it, they could contact you, correct? Uh, yes, they can. We do have all of our contact information on our website. Mm-hmm. The website name is PasarinaPress.com, mm-hmm. and uh, our studio is located here in beautiful, sunny Punta Gorda, Florida, um, a great place to, you know, besides doing printmaking with me, uh, you can come down here and do boating and fishing and sailing, and it's just a great and great photography around here. I have yes. to tell you, there's a lot of beautiful, natural places here, so if you if you are a photographer, it is a great place to come. Right. And again, if you are a photographer and you wanted to look at expanding that, 
venue, much like you did. Absolutely. You know, if you're interested in in, uh, expressing your printed images, uh, your photography in a new way, we do work with people on Photogravure projects where we will help you translate your photograph into a beautiful Photogravure plate and an addition, if that's something you would be interested in exploring. There you go. There you go. So thank you for the contact info. And of course, we'll have it on the show on the website. We'll have the links there to you so they can contact it. So uh, Susan, we're going to wrap up. I got to say thank you for inviting me over here to this place. It's just incredible. And you're right to see the process and everything that's done. And that final result is just amazing. And uh, they'll be able to check that out when they go to your website. Thank you, David, for giving me the opportunity to to talk with you and your audience today. It's been a pleasure. And I thank you so much. And I just want to say, the reason this happened, it was at the VAC, and you were in one of the shows, some of your artwork there, and I walked up and I said, that is incredible, what is that? And I didn't understand or even know the, uh, the, the name. And I'm like, this is interesting. So I got a chance to talk with Jill Lindsay, kind of explain the process, and I said, you know, I've never, have had a chance to sit down with someone that's done this kind of process so thank you for that you're welcome yeah okay so everyone thank you for listening to another episode of partnership for the arts where we talk art i'm sure michelle will be with us next time if you just stay away from that sushi (laughs) (laughs) and we're going to wrap up here and make sure you check out the site and you check out susan's website as well because you're going to see some incredible things there again susan thank you You're welcome. Okay, everyone, we'll talk art soon. Thanks for listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show. 